Hi, this is Nina, and you're listening to Nerd Out Space. The best place to find out you really should get those ear checked, because yeah, I did say that other thing that one time. I really did. So our Discord server has really been growing quite a bit, which makes me absolutely ecstatic TM, and some of you really do be bringing absolutely amazing ideas forward. I'd like to shout out Kyoto for helping me with the topic for today's episode. If you don't know him, he's a video editor and a graphic designer. Do check him out. If you stop by the server, you can also leave your suggestions in the designated channel, and it might or might not get featured just as this one did. And now, on to the main course. The big three phenomenon is in all of the media around us. You Google it and you'll find all sorts of anime and their characters or characters from books, TV shows and so on. Today, I'd like to voice my opinions on why I think this trope is so popular in today's world, as well as talk about some of the most legendary trios of pop culture. I'd like to note that the legendary duo is also a widely spread trope that isn't featured as much in contemporary pop culture. If you look up some, you'll realize most of them have had their moments of fame or have started in the 70s to 90s, if not much sooner. The big three phenomenon, however, has seen much larger inclusion in the most recent decades, starting from the later 90s. If you at all follow any sort of media, there will always be tropes that you prefer among others, but it is quite safe to say that most people are really, really fond of the trope called found family. As Screen Rant very well wrote, this refers to when the characters who are mostly unrelated bond together and form their own family unit, relying on each other for love and support. It doesn't always have to be like a typical family unit, but what catches all of our attention is always the dynamic that is created in between these characters. This dynamic can be achieved in a number of ways. The characters' personalities can clash, but ultimately they complete each other, whether they like it or not. It's just like, let's say, Spongebob. So he and Patrick share like one brain cell together, exactly, and one has just the slightest edge over the other, so almost like the middle and youngest siblings, where uh, Squidward is the tired and annoyed oldest one who has to do all the work all the time. And it doesn't really matter that they are different. It's what gives their relationship the flair people are looking for to, you know, laugh at it. They also can share a common history and grow together. There is nothing quite like seeing a trio of friends get to know each other and grow up together. Not only does it remind us of reality and childhood to adulthood transition, it warms our hearts to see it done in a healthy way, even though the people going through it are just fictional. They can be vulnerable together. Just as us, real people, go through many, many hardships during our lifetime, so do the legendary fictional trios, and thankfully, they are always in a position when they don't have to be alone to face whatever issues is standing between them. It's very, very addicting for a viewer or reader to see a group of mostly young people overcome all kinds of obstacles together. And I will prove all of this to you by going on a rant about some of the big threes and legendary trios that I remember from throughout my life. Although there is an extreme 
amount of big threes in the media still present, even in recent years, like Sam, Dean, and Castiel from Supernatural, or Aaron, Mikasa, and Armin from Attack on Titan, I'd like to start with a group that almost forms a basis to all humanity. Shrek, Donkey, and the Puss in Boots. Now, I know what all of y'all are thinking right now. I'm such a dumbass. Why did I not think of this sooner? Well, thankfully, dear, you have me to remind you of the most legendary trio of them all, the big three we should all kneel before. I'm pretty sure we are all aware of Shrek being the ultimate cinematic masterpiece, and dare I say that most of its success and humor comes from the trio's amazing chemistry. Not only do their personalities complement each other perfectly, we have Shrek, the dude who just wants some peace and quiet to eat his onion, which... same. Then Donkey, who is just the loudest, most annoying animal person ever. And then the Puss, who is like the cool bad guy with a soft side. Not only that, they have a long-ass history together, and they have grown so much as individuals going through anything thanks to each other. Shrek is no longer all that grumpy and selfish because of Donkey and his friendliness. Donkey has learned to respect personal boundaries, at least sometimes, and the puss is no longer a cold-hearted killer, but a very, very loving friend. He reminds me a little of Diego from the Ice Age, now that I'm thinking of it. And to be fair, Manny, Sid and Diego are almost a carbon copy of the Shrek trio. Wow, so... Uh, that much for originality, I guess, but <laughs> this brings out a very random thought. And that being, you know, when like, as a kid, you had like very weird fictional crushes? Yeah, well, one of my first fictional crushes as a child was the original Sonic the Hedgehog, but I'm pretty sure that Diego from Ice Age was also in there somewhere on the list. Maybe that's why I love making pickers of myself with cat ears. Yeah, yeah, it got weird now, didn't it? Anyway, let's move on. Ash, Brock, and Misty, or alternatively, Jesse, James, and Meowth. So at first I thought of Ash and the group, but later on realized that they weren't the ones who actually stuck together throughout the entire anime. The ones who never left each other's sides, even when things got pretty bad, were the Team Rocket members. There are many, many other iconic trios, but Team Rocket is probably one of the most memorable. While none of them lacked being melodramatic at times, and that being their common feature, they were very distinct individuals whose personalities and interactions made us remember and love them. They all have backstories that, even though probably animated to make you, you know, laugh, are actually pretty sad. Jesse's mother died at a very young age for her, and she had to find a way through life, starting at an orphanage and failing a lot before coming to the Team Rocket. James was the only child of millionaires expected to marry a girl he did not love, which made him leave all of this wealth that he didn't really care for behind and escape that life, you know? Jesse and James then enrolled in the same biker gang where they were recognized as complete opposites, while Jesse was somewhat reckless, and James was, was much, much safer. After they rejoined Team Rocket, they basically hated each other until Meowth made an appearance and helped them to grow closer together, who was 
also an abandoned kitten that starved most of the time and had to steal food to just survive. And now these individuals have grown together and have become a family. You don't often see this kind of story and development when it comes to the villain characters. But when you think about it, it's kind of really wholesome. They accepted and loved each other, even with their flaws, and refused to leave the other behind. To be fair, if that ain't legendary trio material, I don't know what is. Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Now, I am very well aware of all Rowling's controversies, and I must say, not cool, miss. Not cool at all. Yes, I can still understand that the books lack representations since they were written in the 90s about a bunch of kids in the 80s London, because that's simply how it was how it was back then. These things were kind of just not talked about enough. What I cannot condone, though, is sprouting nonsense without any research after the series are done and not showing anything for it. If you want to write a gay character, or a character that's ace, arrow, or an NB, or any character at all, do it. Do it. Just commit to it. Don't just go around talking about it and not actually put anything in the books. That's simply misleading, queerbaiting, and a very, very manipulative thing to do. The transphobia is a whole another thing, a very harmful one, that is to say, considering how many people loved and cherished stories Rowling wrote and felt very, very hurt by by her statements. That being said, I looked into different people's opinions on staying fond of the stories while still condemning Rowling's behavior. Some say no, some say yes, and some simply don't know. And I, for one, find all the options above quite valid, since different people have different reasoning to why they enjoy something or why they no longer want to do it. And as Daniel Radcliffe had said, if you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you at any time in your life, then that is between you and the book that you read, and it is sacred. And to be fair, I couldn't agree more, because a book at one point will always, always, always outgrow the author once it reaches the fan base. And that, in my opinion, is the beauty of writing. But now, on to the actual trio of the book. I kind of digressed there, sorry. (laughs) So, Harry, Hermione and Ron, sometimes referred to as the Golden Trio, are the characters around which the entire story revolves. Everywhere they go, trouble follows, I also can relate. I think most of us know how they are. Hermione is the witty smartass who always gets the boys out of trouble, and boy, is it lucky that she does. Ron is a knucklehead, in a sense, but he has a heart of gold and a very, very relatable and funny fear of spiders. Immediately befriends Harry, not for who he is known to be, but because they just click instantly. Because Harry, you know, is also a little stupid if you ask me, but, you know, he's the chosen one. And boy, did the world love the Chosen One trope back then. And if you ask me, yes, the trope is still somewhat relevant, but only if written well, because most of the time it has been used in very, very similar manners. But more on that some other time. So I think it is quite clear why these characters are called the Golden Trio. Because let's be honest, let's be honest, They couldn't really get anywhere without one another. Sure, let's say Ron and Harry would still be great pals anyway. 
How far, though, would they get without Hermione? Hmm? I'm sorry, sorry, I don't, I don't hear you. Oh, yeah, to their graves is where they'd get. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Not only that, Hermione is one of the first strong female characters, if not actually the first one that I looked up to as, as a small girl. I even dressed up as her for the kindergarten carnival when I was like, I don't know, five. And boy, was I adorable. And there I go, digressing again. Let's move on. Percy, Annabeth, and Grover. Some of y'all are still sleeping on Percy Jackson series on the Percy Jackson series. And yes, I am judging you because of it. Not even quietly, I am voicing my judgment against you. And although Harry Potter holds a dear place in my heart since I basically grew up with it and spent countless hours buried under a blanket in my Gryffindor scarf and Harry Potter glasses and I even drew the you know the little scar on my forehead like a dumbass. So even though I spent all this time watching the movies when I was little, the problematic topics cannot be denied. Which is why I think Percy, Annabeth and Grover and the entire series with them are applicable and likable even in today's everyday lives. Not only does the foundation stand on children with active learning, learning dysfunctions like dyslexia, the difference between Rick Riordan and J.K. Rowling starts and ends with the willingness and to learn and adapt. Riordan started his books off with very, very little representation, but evolved right on with our society and always wanted for the kids reading his books to feel included. Not only that, he has always done his research for the things he wrote, which is awesome to see. There were some controversies, for example, with him writing Native American characters, you can find more on that if you Google a little bit, but even then he wrote the entire article stating how he researched for writing this character and stated that if he could have done something differently before actually publishing the book, he would get sensitivity readers. And you can see the amazing development that this man has actually gone through throughout his life to get better at doing what he does and at making children feel included, which is so, so, so much better. Now, I would say that this trio holds characteristics very similar to those uh, in Harry Potter. Why? Well, Annabeth is also a witty smartass, but also much, much sassier about it, like never taking any shit about it. Grover is somewhat of a soft knucklehead with a heart of gold, but he acts much more as a protector for Percy when anywhere and takes his time to always do what's good for him. And Percy, well, Percy is just plain stupid, but like in the best way possible. And I'm very, very sure that all of us know it and no one listening to this is offended at Percy's behalf because we love us a chosen one with a fish brain trope. We truly do. Now, the reasons as to why this trio is so memorable are slightly different. Their personalities clash, yes, but surprisingly, they actually work together like a well-oiled machine every single time. The reason why they do that is because they have become an actual family to one another. Since most of the kids from the Camp Half-Blood, which, as some of you might know, means that you have one normal human parent and one of your parents is a Greek god. So most of the kids have never known 
at least one of their parents, or sometimes hardly knew the human one. So family was what they needed most. And when they couldn't get it at home or anywhere where they actually grew up, they would create it for themselves. And look at what a great job they did. Miro, Tamaki and Nejire from My Hero Academia. And then alternatively, Deku, Shoto and Bakugo. While My Hero Academia tries very, very hard to make us believe that Miryo, Tamaki and Nejire are the big three, we all can see quite well that that's not actually the case, even though even though they have never been referred to as that. The anime heavily, heavily focuses on the main character, Deku, his rival, Bakugo, and Shoto, who is just very, very happy to have friends and to be there. People love them together and often even ship them in a polyamorous relationship because of their dynamic, where Deku is the heroic crybaby, Bakugo is the angry and explosive protector, and Shoto is just very, very, very happy to have friends and still manage to have a complete poker face. To be fair, I just want to throw it out there. I really don't mind most of your My Hero Academia ships as long as they are not an adult and a minor or if they aren't like straight straight out just disgusting. I am. I would consider myself a multi-shipper and I really don't mind most of the ships that are created. I think they all have something to them. I mean... Look at me, you're looking at a proud Kachako shipper. Don't blame me, it's just the chemistry is right there. I love it, I I can't get enough of this, sorry. But yeah, to get back to the topic, they all have very distinct powers that, yeah, differ a lot, yet they keep learning about life from each other more and more every time. And their character development, mostly thanks to each other, just cannot be overlooked, even if you lack all of the human senses. Like, even a shapeless, senseless blob would probably feel it in their gut somehow. I can vouch for that. What about H2O? Just add water. Now that I'm thinking about this, the Czech translation for this is actually pretty good. That almost never happens. I'm pretty shook. But yeah, even the iconic mermaids that if you did not watch when you were 11 and just vibing in front of the TV and then later wished that you were... A mermaid and then every time you just went to the bathroom would pretend that you had a tail. Who are you even trying to fool? No one believes you, my dear. No one. Absolutely no one. But even this was written so so obviously for a trio and it would not work for anyone else because every single one of them have a, had a different power that would only suit them. And when we had a four come in, did you just not hate her? I hated her. The entire world hated her and it just wasn't that fun anymore because There's nothing quite like a character that has a very, very specific power that suits only them. And that is very, very typical for them. For example, the bad girl, Ricky, could actually, you know, boil water or anything that would contain water, which is very, very suiting for her character. Since she was the bad girl the entire time, she was the one that actually had a lot of malice. Cleo was a girl that was very creative and nice, and she could manipulate water into different shapes, which is also very fitting to her. And then we have Emma, who was very, like, you know, smart, nice, just like the cookie cutter good girl, and she could freeze any liquid or anything containing water. We can also see how everything falls apart when there is like another mermaid. To be fair, was anyone interested when the new new girl came? Even her power was like changing water into gelatin. 
you can see this is where kind of the writer's intention is starting to go somewhere. Probably into a land of weed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why you would think of a power where you can turn water into gelatin, but who am I to judge, I guess? But every single time that there was more than three, it either became very uninteresting or you just hated the fourth with a very, very burning passion. And if you didn't, what's wrong with you? There are, of course, so many more trios that we grew up with and love, like Luke and Leia, or the Powerpuff Girls, or Naruto, Sasuke, and Sakura, and I could just go on and on if I wanted to. But the gist of it stays the same every time. As long as entertainers will keep writing the big three trope well, people will most likely eat it up and get hyperfixed on them. And that's a callout for you, sis. To conclude, it is pretty safe to say people love the big three phenomenon. Not only we eat up this trope in different sorts of media, we create different tier lists on the top three things, like the big three of anime that Naruto, One Piece and Bleached are considered to be. Alternatively, with Dragon Ball instead of one of those, depending on which person you ask. But even most shonen anime actually consist of the big three characters. The protagonist, the rival, and the villain. Shout out to Rustage, who actually noticed and pointed it out in his song Showdown with Connor and Schwabity. You guys, you guys are doing great. So I'd like to know what your big three is. Let me know by DMing me on any of my or the podcast social media or hop into the Discord server. You can find all of those on nerdoutspace.card with two rs.co, as in CEO. Oh, and a shameless plug. If you enjoy this podcast or my presence or the things I create, please consider helping me out with buying better equipment, either through my Kofi or Patreon. I mean, I am the birthday girl today, so... I'm expecting some gifts. No, I'm just I'm just joking. But I will be forever thankful if you decide to do so because you, my dear little travelers, are what keeps me going. And of course, the fact that I actually like talking a lot and making you listen to me with shameless threats. But much love, for sure. <laughs> Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in again or for the first time. I can't believe we actually made it through to the end together. You're a real one, my friend. You, as always, have been an absolutely lovely audience. I've been Nina without much of a change, and you successfully found your way through the jungle that is Nerd Out Space. <laughs>